You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. I'm always curious, when you go to a concert, you pay big money for the best seats, you come to worship. The best seats, I think, are down front. There's only one person, Tina. Let's give it up for Tina. Now, I get back row Baptist. If that's your thing, that's fine, you know. But uh, gee whiz, it just doesn't motivate the teaching pastor, right, Mr. Bowback? And look who's sitting in the back, back row. <laughs> Forget it. I'm, I'm fighting a losing battle. So, hey, have fun wherever you're seated. Welcome at home. Uh, we are in the book of Acts, uh, chapter 5, please. So, Acts uh, has been um, a continuation of our journey with Luke. Luke was the real Jesus, and now we're going to see how Acts unfolds how the impact of Christ's life, death, burial, and resurrection impacted the world, basically. Because Acts closes with chapter 28, we're in Rome. The gospel goes from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, and they viewed Rome, the capital city of the empire, as the ends of the earth. So, very cool. So, Acts chapter 5. As you're turning there, let me introduce you to a gentleman who influenced me. His name is Robert. And what he did was he paired people up. So just imagine two people, he gave them 20 minutes total, 10 minutes each, to introduce themselves to each other, strangers albeit. And so in conclusion, after 30,000 people, 50,000 couples, all the data came in, they concluded that the average person in a 10-minute period told three lies about themselves. So you're getting introduced, right? You embellish the truth and, you know, you kind of build yourself up and make yourself look better. That was the data. His conclusion uh, of that study and research, helping people become truth tellers, is in the title. Notice there's no question. He didn't ask, is there a liar in your life? He made it emphatic. Because there is, we got to learn to tell the truth. Now, if uh, you think he's alone, he's not. Do you remember Dr. Leonard Keeler? He brought a gift to culture, and the gift was the lie detector test. Anybody have to take that for work? I'm just curious. No? Just one, Dave? Was that weird? Yeah. How'd you do? No, just kidding. Just, <laughs> just kidding. So here's the deal. <clears throat> Keeler personally took 25,000 people through the lie detector test. Here's his conclusion. Human beings are basically deceptive. How interesting. Now, we get some air support for those who like classic rock. The great theologian Billy Joel, and I know it looks like Sylvester Stallone up there, but truly that's Billy Joel many years ago. Do you remember the song, Honesty? Honesty. Such a lonely word. Everyone is so untrue. Honesty, hardly ever heard, but what I mostly need from you. And so let me ask the question. I'm going to put it in the question mark. Is there a liar in your life? Friends, I hope we come this morning honest and transparent and immediately disarm ourselves and take off the mask. 
there is. It's just the human condition. I spoke with an elder last night about this topic. He's not here today just because he felt like it'd be best with uh, health conditions. And we processed this issue of lying. Uh, you know, we're, we're both about the same age and uh, it's a real issue. And again, if we're honest, we're going to uh, hopefully grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If we keep the mask on and say, man, this topic's for someone else, but not for me, we're really going to miss it today. Now, one of the core values, there's six of them at uh, Westwood Church. Who can tell me the core value that relates to, and you can uh, participate at home, that relates to this topic this morning? What's the core value? You could cheat and look at the title of the message. <laughs> what is it? It's authentic community. That's a core value at Westwind Church. And please hear me, folks. Without authentic community, you really can't be the church of Christ. Okay? So God is a truth teller. He is the God of all truth. We've already, a few weeks ago, suggested Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He is the truth, the absolute truth, a person of truth and a principle of truth. So you have your Bibles. You're in Acts 5, but let me set the stage from the Old Testament. And often I like to pair the Old Testament with the New because the theme runs throughout all of Scripture. There's a passage in Proverbs early on in my Christian journey got my attention. Follow along, it's on the screen. Proverbs 6 says this, the Lord hates six things. In fact, seven are detestable to him. Now, when you read that for the first time as a new believer, would you agree that should get your attention? Because if God hates something, I should hate something. Let's look at what he hates. He hates arrogant eyes, meaning pride, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that plots wicked schemes, feet that run to, to evil, a lying witness who gives false testimony, and one who stirs up trouble among brothers. Mark this down, please don't miss this. Proverbs says three of the sins that God hates relate to the tongue. Isn't that remarkable? James, the brother of Jesus, camps on that. This tongue has the power to give life and to give death. Think through this morning what you can do to people's lives when you lie about them, when you deceive, when you put forth half-truths. A lying tongue is abhorrent to God. Someone who testifies falsely, he hates it, he despises it. And notice the third one. When you use your tongue to separate brothers and sisters, to bring dissension, disunity, and disharmony. A few weeks, we'll see that in Acts chapter 6. It's quite remarkable. And so, friends, this topic is so relevant to each and every one of us. I pray with all my heart, by God's spirit, you'll lean in. We'll take off the mask. We won't try to look better than we really are, as Ananias and Sapphira tried to do. Stand with me. And let's uh, walk through Acts chapter 5, first 11 verses. Follow along, please. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. However, he kept back part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge and brought a portion of it, laid it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds from the field? 
wasn't it yours while you possessed it? And after it was sold, wasn't it yours uh, for disposal? Why is it that you planned this thing, notice, in your heart? That's deception at its rust. You have not lied to men, but to God. When he heard these words, Ananias dropped dead. Whoa. And a great fear came on all who heard, of course. <laughs> Could you imagine being a part of that fellowship? Sometimes we say, oh, man, I wish I was part of the first century church. Really? <laughs> How many of us right now would kick the bucket? I might be on that list, folks. I'm not, I'm not trying to run. I'm not trying to point fingers. This is real stuff. He dropped dead. The young man got up, wrapped, wrapped his body, carried him out, buried him. There was an interval about three hours that his wife came in, not knowing what happened. Tell me, Peter asked her, did you sell the field for this price? Yes, she said, for that price. Then Peter said to her, why did you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Instantly, she dropped dead at his feet. When the young man came in, they found her dead, carried her out, buried her beside her husband. And then notice again, second time we see it in this passage, then great fear came on the whole church and all who heard these things. Please be seated. Now, let's uh, contemporize it. 21st century church in America. We've all had a few bad days in church. Would you agree? The talk bombs. It doesn't seem relevant. You go home and you roast the pastor for lunch. Has that ever happened? Never to Tina. She sits up front. My kind of gal. Right? The sound system goes haywire. The worship team who gave Thursday to practice, Sunday morning to preparing they're kind of on edge. The baptistry, too cold or too hot, that's happened many times throughout a number of years of ministry. And the list can go on and on, right? The service goes significantly longer, and you got plans, and you're frustrated. That's 21st century bad days in church. Folks, would you agree with me? This was a pretty bad day in Jerusalem. <laughs> Two people are dead. A husband and wife. Keith and Ellen, put our names right there. There's a financial scandal looming. The name of Christ is being defamed. The future and progress of the gospel could be hindered. Now, who's behind it? The text is very clear, and we'll get to this in a few weeks. It's a diabolical plot by Satan himself. Satan has filled your heart. Just so you know this morning, right now, he's the father of lying. So every deception, every half-truth, holding back the truth when you should share the truth, he's the author of all that. Why? Because it hurts. It brings uh, havoc to the community of faith. Now, up until this time, just so you know, things have been going pretty well. Would you agree? Acts 2, 3,000 get saved and baptized. That was a pretty good day. Acts 3 and 4, 5,000 men come to faith in Christ, add some women and children. That was a pretty good moment in time. There's rejoicing in the temple. The gospel's advancing. The church is happening. Let me show you a summary passage of how Luke views the church at this stage. And it's the passage leading up to Ananias and Sapphira. Look at verses 32 through 37. You've got to connect the two. Now, the large group of those who believed 
We're of one heart and mind. Friends, that's unity. That's Philippians 2. Paul says, be one heart, one mind, one spirit. Boy, be unified. And no one said that any of his possessions was his own, but instead they held everything in common. And the apostles were given testimony with great power to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the gospel advancing. They're preaching truth. And great grace was on all of them. For there was not a needy person among them, because all those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of the things that were sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet. This was then distributed for each person's basic need. And then a beautiful testimony. Joseph, a Levite, and a Cypriot from birth, meaning from Cyprus, the one of the apostles called Barnabas, which is translated son of encouragement, sold a field he owned, brought the money, laid it at the apostles' feet. There was generosity beyond measure, folks. So think of this summary statement. There's unity, one heart, one mind, one spirit. The gospel's advancing. They're preaching Christ and him crucified. People are coming to genuine faith in Christ. They're taking their possessions, selling it, and letting the apostles, the leaders, hey, go do kingdom ministry. Look at verse one of chapter five. But, but. That's a word of great contrast. But something happened to interrupt this movement. And the something is this. A diabolical plot by the enemy to fill the heart of a believer, believers, husband and wife, to create dissension, unity, mask wearing in the church. And so this is a real topic Ananias and Sapphira were fully in Christ. They were believers. Why do we know that? They lied to who? The Holy Spirit, who is God. So we know they're believers. This can happen to each and any one of us here today, folks. It's so relevant to our day. But we must ask the question, what's going on here? Why such swift and severe punishment? We've all heard of zero tolerance policies, haven't we? But this seems a little bit over the top. Would you agree? Just imagine if the zero tolerance policy took place right now at Westwind Church. Would any of us be carried out? I'm not being facetious and I'm not being comical. Folks, it's real. It's real as the air we breathe. So what is happening? I'll tell you what's happening. The first five chapters of the book of Acts says this. They practiced biblical fellowship. It's called koinonia. They were together, one heart, one mind, one spirit. They were dedicated. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to breaking of bread, to prayer. The Lord was doing great things through the early church. We have another summary statement from Acts 2 to Acts 4. There's unity. There's generosity. The gospel's advancing. Guess what Satan does? He tries to work from within to implode the advance of the gospel. This is a diabolical plot by the father of lies to use deception in the early church, lying which God hates. And so that's why. Why does Westwind Church have a core value of authentic community? It's exactly driven from Acts 2 and Acts 4. And so... Please realize this too, folks. This topic just doesn't relate to the church. Parents, let's go to the home. Think about the last time a child lied to you. 
what happens. It eradicates trust. The child gets put on probation and you're wondering what's next. Is it truth or lying? What happens when an American president lies to the people? Congress call for impeachment, right? This is serious stuff. What happens when an Olympic medal winner, go back to the games, takes a medal and then years later is found out with performance-enhancing drugs, go online, do the research, dozens upon dozens of medals from gold to bronze have been stripped away because of the deception of performance-enhancing drugs. One of my favorite pictures, remember Ken Lay, CEO, Enron? He lied. Business 2.0 said, boom, Pinocchio. Can you imagine ending your career as CEO of Enron, known as Pinocchio? And then the caption, after Enron, telling the truth is trendy again. Can I encourage you? Telling the truth isn't trendy. It's biblical. It's God-honoring. He is the God of all truth. The father of lies is Satan himself. And what a radical contrast, dear friends. And so that leads us to our blessing. And the blessing is this, by applying the principles from God's word regarding truth-telling, each one of us can live authentically. You're here this morning because you want to live authentically. I'm convinced of that. Nobody wakes up and just purposes to deceive, to lie, to screw up, you know, to, to be that guy or girl. So let's learn principles. Let's enact them. Uh, we're going to see some beautiful truth from the Apostle Peter. So three principles this morning. Principle number one, living authentic means we're honest with ourselves. And may I suggest this is the hardest of the three Why? Because I believe our identity, our significance, and lying go hand in hand. The reason most people lie is to cover up. And typically, it's covering up their identity, their significance, their failures in life, their insecurities. And so, look at verse 4, if you will. Why is it that you plan this thing in your hearts? You have not lied to men, but to God. And so this is tough stuff. Again, we don't know all that's going on in Ananias and Sapphira's life, but we know this. Their sin, and please make note of this, their sin had nothing to do with the amount they gave. It had nothing to do with giving all. You know what their sin was? Pretending that they gave all. They were pretenders. They were wearing a mask. You know what the biblical word for mask wearing is? Hypocrisy, you can say it louder, Tina, since you're sitting up front and you're my favorite this morning. (laughs) Tina's my favorite. What's the word? Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Isn't that word just polluted? It just sounds polluted. It's mask wearing. It goes back to Greek theater. This has been around for 2,500 years. Friends, can I encourage you? Here's the beautiful thing about Christianity. You and I are allowed to doubt like Thomas. We're allowed to to fail like Peter. 
We're allowed to struggle like Timothy did. We're allowed to be broken like David did. One thing we're not allowed to do in the body of Christ is to live hypocritically, to live with masks on. Now, we all know we struggle with that, right? Because it is about our identity. It is about our significance. And we want to look to each other better than we really are. So let's just put the cards on the table. How do we get our mask off? Peter's helping these guys to be real and to deal with their sin. But they first and foremost had to be honest with themselves. And so I think one of the great encouragements from Scripture comes from the psalmist. And I want to encourage you as you journey to become more authentic. And let's put it this way, as we journey to become more authentic to take off the masks, to live less hypocritically, to not tie our identity, our significance, and our value to our stuff, to what we do, to how we perform, but rather tie it to God, tie it to his work through Jesus Christ. Here's one of the practices I do is I regularly pray Psalm 139, 23, and 24. Track with me, it's on the screen. Search me, God, know my heart, Test me, know my concerns. See if there's any offensive way in me. Lead me in the everlasting way. So can you imagine what it would have been like for Ananias and Sapphira? They're in this kind of, this turmoil. They're seeing great generosity. They're seeing the kingdom of God come. Thousands are coming to faith in Christ and getting baptized. Lives are being transformed. They want to participate. They're new believers. They're young in the faith. Cut them some slack. So they sell property, but something's going on in their hearts. And that is the battle. It's Galatians 5. The spirit will always wage war against the flesh. The flesh will always wage war against the spirit. What is the fleshly thing? I want to look good. I want people to think I'm Barnabas. I want my identity attached to generosity. I want fame. I want fortune. I want accolades. Way to go, Ananias and Sapphira. And the only way that I know of to counter that self-glorification is this. Lord, please search my heart. Please try my thoughts. See if there's any self-glorification in me. Lead me in your way everlasting. I promise you this. If you pray that prayer regularly, it's just a good prayer. And you pause. Let the spirit speak. Let the word speak. Things can change. Could you imagine if Anna and I, since if I were just prayed that, when they were going through this, this spiritual battle, my goodness, a good thing's happening. And then it got corrupted because their heart, their identity, their significance is tied to worldly things instead of Christ. Principle number two. Live authentic means we are honest with each other. And so I really believe it starts with self. If we get the self thing right, this one becomes much more palatable. If we don't get the first one right, guess what? This is just going to almost be impossible. How can you be honest with someone else? Confess your sins, James says to one another. Love covers the multitude of sins if you can't even be honest with yourself. But let's take a look, verses 7 and 8. There was an interval of about three hours Then Ananias' wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Tell me. And again, I I see Peter pastorally here. I I don't see him as a hard, 
ogre trying to beat up on this, these young believers who are living partially generous? Tell me. Peter asked her, did you sell the field for this price? And notice her response, guys. Yes, she said, for that price. Now, let's talk a little bit about Peter right now. Would you agree with me? It would have been much easier for Peter to sweep this sin under the rug. I tell you, if I was Peter, I'd have to do some soul searching. Listen, they're new believers. <laughs> All right, let's cut them some slack. They gave half the proceeds. That's way to go. Thank you. They're probably wealthy and generous because in that first century time, there were some wealthy and generous, but it wasn't the majority. And so now you got a prominent family in the new church supporting kingdom work. Peter could have just swept it under the rug. But he's courageous. He's a man of God. And I believe with all my heart, guys, he took his cues from Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus very much loved people into seeing their sin, confessing their sin. Remember when Peter denied the Lord three times, he goes out and weeps bitterly. But can I show you a passage where I really believe Peter uh, took his cues from Jesus? It's Matthew 18, 15. Again, remember, Peter was tutored by Jesus for about three years. In Matthew 18, there's this dialogue about forgiving people. How often do you forgive people? 70 times 7, infinitely. But prior to that, there is a teaching. Matthew 18, 15. If your brother or sister sins, go to them one-on-one. -on -one. Talk about it. Try to win your brother and sister back. Peter's coming to Sapphira right now with a heart of compassion. In Matthew 18, the passage is all about a fractured bone, resetting the bone. It's all about a net that's, that's ravaged and mending the net so you could fish again. Jesus, go to the sinner one-on-one, -on -one, try to win him back. That's the heart of Peter right here. He's a compassionate pastor. He's caring for those in sin. So Fiverr, really, is this the amount? And then she lied again. She had every opportunity, dear friends, to confess her sins, to let the Lord do the soul searching, to come clean. If you know your Bible, you know that the principle and precedent comes from the Old Testament. It's all over Scripture. David was a man of God, and he sinned grievously against the Lord. Do you remember who came to him? It's the prophet Nathan. And the prophet Nathan was courageous enough, pastoral enough, loving enough, told him a parable. David says, that man should be killed. What's he doing? What's he thinking? And here's the deal, folks. Nathan said, David, you're the man. And that's when David broke. That's when his heart was tender to the Lord. He was running as a spiritual fugitive for about a year. And finally, Nathan showed up. Proverbs 27, 6. And I love this. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. Peter was a trusted leader in the early church. Yeah, he came. It would be hard, right, to deal with this sin. It was hard for David. David thought that person should be killed. David, you're the guy I'm talking to in this parable. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. 
C.S. Lewis repackaged it, and I love what he said. He said, a friend will stab you in the gut. Think about that for a moment. A friend will stab you in the gut. You know what that means? Same thing as the Proverbs teaches. But they'll look eye to eye to you, heart to heart to you. They love you enough to tell the truth, to speak the truth in love. That's what Peter's doing here. Why? Why did Sapphira hold on to her deception? Why did she hold on to her lying? She could have come clean. Her life would have been preserved. The church could have learned a lesson and moved forward. Next thing you know, she loses her life. I know this is hard stuff, but everything's at stake. Satan's filling her heart to destroy the church through disunity, disharmony, deception, and lying. And God says, no. And the discipline was swift. Can I encourage you? We have the privilege to build each other up and minister to each other in this faith journey. We do. But the call is this, and here's the encouragement. Always go to the source first to speak the truth in love. That's the biblical mandate. Now, again, Matthew 18 unpacks it. If, boy, if you don't win, you, you get some help. But it's always for the goal of restoration. It's always for the goal of healing. It's always for the goal of renewal. God is a God of compassion. And Peter is speaking the truth in love, sadly. Sapphira's heart was so hard. Ananias' heart was so hard, filled by Satan to live deceptively. Now, principle number three, living authentic means we are honest with God. So think about it, it really builds here. It starts with self, Lord, search my heart, try my thoughts, see if there's any wicked way in me. Sometimes we have the privilege to go to each other. That's just a blessing when a friend will stab you in the gut and you receive it like David did from Nathan. And so look at verses three and four. Then Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds from the field? Wasn't it yours while you possessed it? And after it was sold, wasn't it your at, at your disposal? Why is it that you planned this thing in your heart? You have not lied to God, not lied to men, but to God. Can I just make a side note here? When we talk about the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you know, there are certain doctrines uh, today that don't give the Spirit of God, the credentials the Bible gives. You know who the Spirit of God is? Third person of the Trinity, in this passage, you have lied to who? God. When you lie to the Spirit, you lie to God. He's the third person of the Trinity. Folks, this is a holy thing. Now, you might be saying to me, wait a second, they just lied to the church. Of course they lied to the church. But ultimately, every lie, every deception, every half-truth, every keeping back the truth, is a lie against God. Why? He's the God of all truth. And the author of every lie and every deception is the father of lies, Satan. Folks, this is serious, serious stuff. Now, the question I had to ask is, <laughs> what were they thinking? Don't they know that God sees? <laughs> right? If God is seated on the throne, if God is the God that the Bible says he is, guess what? He sees it all. Let me show you Proverbs 15, 3. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, observing the wicked and the good. He sees it all, guys. We can't run. We can't hide from God. So why do we try? 
Would you agree that's kind of foolish? He knows. He knows right now what any deception might be in your life, any half-truth, any lying, any holding back the truth. He knows. Therefore, wouldn't it make sense to come clean? Do you remember Adam and Eve? It really goes back to the garden. What happened? Hey, Adam. Hey, Eve. Where are you? What did they say? We're hiding from me, God. Yeah, I found you. You can't play hide and seek with God. It's ridiculous. Now, I know it's tongue in cheek, but friends, it's real. That should put the fear of the Lord in each and every one of us this morning. David tried for one solid year. One solid year he ran from the Lord. He covered up his sin of adultery with Bathsheba with murder. But his greatest lie was deception. He lived like a liar for a year. Finally, Nathan shows up. You're the man. He breaks, David, God breaks his heart. David confesses. Let me show you what David wrote when he was running and hiding from God. Two Psalms commemorate the time he was running and hiding. Psalm 32 and Psalm 38. One Psalm commemorates when he came clean. Let me show you Psalm 32, what it was like for David to be a spiritual fugitive. David says, when I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer seat, Selah. Then I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. Notice what God does. He forgives us our transgressions. He takes the guilt of our sin away. This is 1 John 1, 9, folks. This is the gospel. 1 John says, if we say we have not sinned, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Therefore, we have a high priest. His name is Jesus. He advocates. He becomes a lawyer on your behalf and mine. Thank God for that. We don't have to run. We don't have to hide. Let me close with a story. Welcome our worship team up. About three, four years ago, got a call from one of my dearest friends in Minnesota, and he's allowed me to tell this story. And he says, hey, Keith, can we grab coffee? Absolutely. We, we did that a million times. We hung out. We were best friends. He was on the search committee when I was hired in Minnesota. We golfed together. We ran together. We were dear, dear friends. We got together. We were just having coffee, and I thought he was just going to say, hey, you know, goodbye, love you, and God bless you, and let's stay in touch. Well, he said that and more. He said, Pastor Keith, I have to confess to you that I've lied to you for the past nine years. And he went on to proceed what the deception was, what the lying was, he portrayed himself as having a really healthy marriage, but he was unfaithful to his wife. And he said, before you leave, Pastor Keith, I want to come clean. I want to make sure there's no barrier between us. There's no more lying in my life. I want to come clean. Will you forgive me? Oh, yeah, I'll forgive you. Thank God. It was a holy moment, guys, at Caribou Coffee in Burnsville. A holy moment. And there were tears. We prayed together. And you could just see the relief like David. The guilt and shame was eradicated. How's your marriage? Well, I shared with my wife 
and we're on a process of healing. You can counseling, yes. He came to town not too long ago. We had lunch. How's the marriage? How's your walk with the Lord? Things are on track. Can you imagine, dear friends, to be a man of God, a leader in the church, close to the pastoral staff, running together in faith, doing kingdom ministry, and living that lie? Can you imagine? Sadly, it happens more than you realize in the local church. So here's my encouragement. There's no value in running and hiding from God. No value whatsoever. Let's learn from David. Let's learn from Ananias and Sapphira. Let God's spirit search our heart, try our thoughts, see if there's any deceptive, untruthful, half-truth ways in us and lead us in his way everlasting. Folks, I'm not here to point the finger. My conversation with the elder last night was very candid. This is true of all of us, pastor included. I could tell you a few stories. We could have coffee. I have to come clean. Let's make today a fresh start. Let's take off the masks. Let's become people who are authentic in the relationships and community. And boy, we'll see the kingdom come. Would you agree? Let's stand. Let's worship together.